Heavy sigh. How it's, sometimes it's hard to get here on a Thursday morning, and I, I don't have young kids, but um, kudos to all you young moms. I see lots of pregnant bellies out there and lots of babies in arms, and uh, we had four kids at one point. They were six, four, two, and zero, and it's hard. It is such hard work to be a young mom, and I remember there was this woman in our church, um, and she's like, she never remembered how hard it was, and she would give me these pat answers, and I just thought, that's not helping. Um, so I really feel like it's been a gift that God has shown me all along the way, how hard it is um, to be a mom of young kids. Um, you're totally depleted. You're exhausted. Um, Steve was telling us last night that he remembers me saying, I will be back. <laughs> I'll be back. I promise I'll be back. But I just remember having no sexual drive after you've had a baby. And, you know, you're at that six-week mark and you're looking at him like, oh, do we really need to go there? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, sorry. That just happened. <laughs> Those six weeks were nice. I'll talk now. It's really hard being a young dad. It's exhausting. I do remember when our first uh, little girl was born and, um, all they need is mom. And it wasn't until she started smiling at Steve that he really felt like, oh, now I'm a dad. Um, so extend some grace to your husbands because it is a tough time for them too because uh, the babies just need you, every part of your body. So anyway, it's hard. <laughs> oh, all right. I probably said something I shouldn't have. We were just talking about this. <laughs> Go, keep going. It's great. Oh. <clears throat> Let's get serious. Okay, no, that was serious. Uh, so some of you here are single. Some of you are widowed. Um, some of you are married. And I just love this verse that God showed me this week out of Isaiah 62.4. And it's just in the theme of the bride and the bridegroom. It says, never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you, and you, you are his bride. So for me, that just gives me such encouragement. Um, a couple weeks ago, Mandy O'Connor was on the screen, and she said something that just hit me, um, that Jesus makes all the difference and being 52, year old, 52 years old and having come to Jesus when I was about in the fifth grade, he really does make all the difference. And I think if we live our life in a way that we're delighting in Jesus, um, it makes me more of a delight to Steve. Um, one of your questions is, how do I love my husband like we love Jesus? And I love Steve most. I love Steve more when I love Jesus most. So I see that in the lives of people in my family when they're not walking close with Jesus. Um, ugly stuff comes out of their mouth towards their husbands in public um, settings or family settings. Um, Steve and I always say, I, I can see your heart. Because scripture says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we really can see our hearts when what's coming out is either delightful or distasteful. Um, so I love Jesus. Or I lo when I love Jesus most, I can love Steve more. And that's been just kind of my mantra. Yeah, and on this metaphor, um, uh, you know, the church is the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. Let me just say that, um, you know, maybe you're in the room, maybe you're single, and that is a difficult metaphor for you to kind of get your head around. Um, in, in some ways, let me just say this. I mean, for guys, it's a bit of a difficult metaphor to get your head around as well. And when we, when we talk about, you know, the marriage metaphor, it, uh, so, I you know, if you're single or, or you know, how, how, do, how, do you, how do you relate to that? And I'm just say this, that a couple things in singlehood is that um, you probably notice that in the, in the scriptures, and if you haven't, it's okay. It's just that, in, you know, in Old Testament to New Testament, there's a bunch of reversals that take place. What was 
bad, quote-unquote, in the Old Testament actually gets redeemed in the New Testament and ends up being a positive thing. For example, look at suffering. Suffering is seen as consequences for disobedience. Um, if you're suffering, you're not doing something right. Well, in the New Testament, in New Testament that's a shift. Um, it, there's a shift that takes place in that Jesus actually says, expect it. And uh, so it's kind of a new way of looking at, at this. And that applies to singleness as well. And in the Old Testament, there's some economic realities that are, that are connected to singleness. I mean, you want, you want to be married because um, you've you got to make it. And, uh, and then barrenness as well. I mean, if you don't have children, you look, you're looked at, is there something wrong? And, um, and, and, and yet, when you get to the New Testament, there's a shift that takes place. Because Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he, he says, actually, you know, if, if uh, singleness is great, actually, it's a blessing. It frees you up to, uh, to pursue kingdom, kingdom work. And if, if, you know, if, you, if you need to get married, get married. Um, but singleness is, is seen as a, as, as a blessing. And I, I just want to speak that to you because maybe when it comes to a topic like this one um, that, you know, you're, you feel a little bit awkward having this conversation. And I don't, don't feel awkward. This is, um, if you're single, that, that's, that's not bad. And sometimes those of us who are married, we're always trying to get single people connected and, um, and you know, that's not all bad. It's just that I think sometimes we put pressure on people who are single that we don't need to put that pressure on them. Does that make sense? And one of, one of the Old Testament stories that kind of speaks to some of the different ways we approach singleness is in the book of Ruth. There's, there's Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, uh, and there's Naomi, and there's Ruth. And all three are married. All three lose their husbands. And Naomi's from Israel, and the two, uh, the, the two daughters-in-law are from uh, Moab. And Naomi's going to go back to Israel and says, you know, girls, stay home, you know, get husbands, so on and so forth. And... Uh, Orpah, um, Naomi actually is in so much grief. So there's just grief attached to her singleness. She has no hope. Um, I, I think you, sometimes you see that in people who are single, that there's this grief that's carried. Like, I don't, there's no hope. Or I can't have a life. And I don't, it's not a, not a healthy view. Um, but Naomi has that. Orpah is sort of a, I'm going to make it happen. Um, so she's staying in Moab. She stays behind. And because um, she, she wants a husband. And, and Ruth she says to Naomi those famous words, you're, you're, you know, your people be my people. And she goes with Naomi and sort of just lets, lets it happen. And, of course, she meets Boaz, and she ends up being the grandmother of David. And, um, and so I, I'm just saying, I just want to say to you that, you know, sometimes we can have some unhealthy views of marriage, and we can also have some unhealthy views of singleness. And so if you're single, um, if you're widowed, um, there uh, the life that you're in is a valuable life, and God will use you in whatever your circumstances are. And I know there's some of you that are in here that are widowed, and I know that some of you are no single. So as we talk about marriage, it's this, this conversation for you as well. So uh, I just wanted to, just to, to touch on that because I think it's a really imp important um, thing to talk about. So this can go along with marrieds and singles. Uh, just talks about, aside from personal study and prayer, is there anything that you study together or just do together to strengthen your unity as a couple in God? Um, and one of the things that we both do is uh, we kind of scour the internet and scour resources in our community. Um, one of the questions later on is, have you ever, have you ever done marriage counseling? And it kind of goes along with this because we're always looking for resources um, to hone us as Christ followers, to hone us as a married couple, to hone us as parents. Um, so we just look and see what conferences are available. And oftentimes there's so many resources, right, you know, between Albany and Portland. Um, there's so many resources out there that um, we've done, you know, some of the family life marriage seminars. We did one on the coast. Um, I've done retreats, um, some retreats that were out of my comfort zone on purpose because I feel like God wants me to be stretched, whether it's the liturgical side of things or the charismatic side of things. I think sometimes we get comfortable in our little boxes, and so I stretch myself by going to things that maybe I'm not comfortable with. Um, and then parenting, we've offered a few parenting classes, not us, but uh, the church uh, here at Salem Alliance that I've gleaned a lot of things from. Um, I remember one when we were early on married, and she wore a lace collar every time, like a detachable lace collar. I don't know who the couple was. 
and they were just odd and conservative and but we got one of the best parenting tips from that, and it probably is one of the only things we got out of it. But when our kids wanted to interrupt us as we were talking, they put their hand on our shoulder, and then we would put our hand on their hand, acknowledging, yes, we see you, and when I'm at an appropriate spot to stop talking, I will, I will talk with you. Um, but that was a, just a great little skill to have as um, parents. Just, you know, we put our hand there, and then when it was appropriate for us to, to stop talking to the person, we would acknowledge the child so that they don't always interrupt, um, which is so easy for them to do. Um, early on, I don't think we prayed together. Um, when you went to Promise Keepers, that was a really turning point. Um, so that was probably, what, seven years into our marriage? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it, I think it was in. Uh, boy, yeah, because we moved. To, we moved to Oregon, so it would have been 1990ish. But there was a. I was telling uh, folks last night that you know we're we're both strong personalities, so we don't like do the same devotion together because that would probably lead to conflict. Because uh, <laughs> we both have our ways of doing things. But uh, on the on the study side of things, we, we we just talk about what we're learning and what we're what we're hearing from God, and we just make sure we have conversations about that and share that with each other. And kind of on the on the some of the discipline sides, uh, stuff we we do together is you know when we had young kids, we just made it a point to get to church. I mean, this is long before I was a pastor. Uh, I just felt like hey, we're gonna get to church, and that was a struggle. And I wish there were Saturday night services back then. Um, but the, the, they weren't, and uh, we, we, we took our kids to church, and we were part of a small group, and that was really important. It was pretty formational um, in uh, those, er, those early years, and, and those kind of disciplines along with, yeah, we, you know, we, I, it was probably at year eight and nine we started, started praying together on a regular basis, and some of the reason I think that we began to spend more time together, with, together like that in kind of enhancing it or, or growing spiritually was we, had, we faced some major transitions. Um, I quit my job at UPS. I didn't have a job to go to. I just sensed that this is what God was calling me to. And I, Trina actually had been praying for three months that I would quit my job. And um, so I just came home one day and said, I, um, we're done. And she burst into tears. And, um, and she said, I've been praying for three months that we'd leave. And, um, and that, that we went into the season of just really just leaning into each other and, and praying together and praying through a transition. And that, that, that's happened several times. We're kind of up our game together. Um, and it's not that we, you know, sort of, you know, backslidden and didn't do that anymore. It's just, it just felt like it, there were seasons where we really needed to do things together. Um, so that's not, it's not indicative of, of how we do spiritual life now. We, we do it separately and, and just stay connected and keep talking about it. One of the disciplines that we both have is the one-year Bible, and Steve has switched over to the two-year Bible through a um, kind of a, they're called huddles. Um, you'll probably be hearing more about those, but so I'll probably switch over to the two-year Bible, and that gives us great conversations. Like, I'll say, what do you think about this? I don't get this. Or something will be three-dimensional, and it'll be something that's going on in our lives or our family, and I'll share, like, oh, my goodness, read this. And it's just really, sometimes it gives me words to what I've already been feeling or sensing from the Lord. It just gives me affirmation, and then I can share it with him. Um, I, I think we there's times where we're internal processors and times that we're um, verbal processors. Um, so I think we complement each other on that and we just dialogue. Uh, one of the questions was, what does it look like to put God first, spouse second, children third? And I, I'll just be honest, I'm not really a big fan of that metaphor, first, second, third, because it, what it feels like to me is that the farther you get down the line, the farther you get from God. Um, and I, I know that's not the heart behind it, but the, what the, a helpful metaphor for me on that is um, how do I put God in the center of all those different relationships? I mean, it's a workplace relationships or it's neighborhood or it's, it's my spouse. Um, uh, how, how do I put God in the center? And I think Trina kind of touched on that is 
the, the, you know, the more you're in love with Jesus, the uh, more that you're leaning into the bridegroom, the better you're going to be at influencing. The more you're influenced by him, the better you're going to be influencing all those different spheres of family and friends and, you know, coworkers and so on and so forth. So I, I just kind of look at it as, uh, you know, if you put all those, those people in a circle and you put Jesus in the middle and you're walking with him, uh, he's influencing all those different things. So how, how do I do that? Well, you're, you're just nurturing that relationship just like you would a, a relationship that was significant for you here, an earthly relationship that you had here. And, um, and then it, it just sort of spills out of you. Um, and I, so I would just say is just don't overthink that. Um, uh, sometimes we, we can get, pretty, um, like, I got to do this, I got to do this, and I got to achieve here and perform here, and um, let it be natural, just like it's with any, any relationship, and just lean into your relationship with Jesus, and I think what will happen is you'll find that that just, just speaks and breeds life in, into all the other relationships um, that you have, so that, that's kind of how I would look at that, how to, how to bring Jesus to those things, just, just walk closely with him, and I think you'll, you'll find it pretty natural. Have you um, ever been in a point in your marriage where you were on a different path and it complicated the marriage? And I would say yes. Um, some big decisions that we've had to make, um, just like the one he was talking about when he was working for UPS in San Francisco, I began having a stirring in my heart that God was asking us to leave. And we were really caught up with keeping up with the Joneses and you know the new cars and the nice things. And I just felt like, where is this leading us? Um, we had experienced the big 19 or yeah 1989 earthquake in San Francisco, and just really made me reevaluate where we, we were headed as a couple and as a family. So I just began praying, Lord. Steve is incredibly successful. I don't want to be the person that takes him away from this job. So if you're leading us away from San Francisco, may it be his decision with you. And he came home after three months of me praying. He opened the door and he said, have your mom start sending the Oregonian. We're moving. I mean, it makes me cry now because... That was the Holy Spirit. I didn't have to take him away from a successful career. God called him away from that. And it began a whole new journey of us seeking the Lord together. Um, so don't be your husband's Holy Spirit. Um, let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. And I tell people that God doesn't speak to us in isolation. Um, if it's God's will for me to move out of California, it's God's will for me to take my husband and kids with me. Um, so slow down. Um, I think sometimes we get in a hurry because we, we may have heard God uh, clearly, but we need to let them catch up. Um, how that was lived out, being called into the pastor, it was uh, Steve began getting this sense that God was calling him into the full-time pastorate, and I didn't want to be a pastor's wife. Um, I had been friends of pastor's wives, and I knew how hard it was sometimes. Um, I knew the arrows that come your way as a pastor's wife, and I'm like, I'd rather be their friends and heal them than to be the one receiving some of the wounding. And so <laughs> he just slowed down and uh, let God call me into the pastorate. And um, so opposite situations, but we both were seeking the Lord for what he had for the other person and for our family as a whole. So if God's telling you something, uh, has put a call on your life, um, he's going he's gonna to share it with your husband as well. Just keep seeking. Um, sometimes it takes a while. I've heard people it's taken years before um, they're on the same page. And it does complicate things, but um, the Lord hasn't forgotten the call he's put on your life, um, big or small. Yeah, and as Trina alluded to there, it's, you'll find that um, you know, you, we will be on different paths and you will be on different, uh, different places. And, um, and, and when it comes to even doing spiritual life together, you'll be in different places. I remember on the, when I was sensing being called into the pastorate, um, and I was sharing this with Trina, um, she said, because we, we were in Hood River and we didn't, we didn't have a pastor for a while, and so I did some preaching, um, and it was life-giving, and then we hired a pastor, and then after eight months, he left. Um, and I did more preaching, and I, people were saying, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, doing this thing? And I was like, no, and so I processed it with Trina, and she said, yeah, and I think maybe God gave you like six sermons, he's done. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you shouldn't do that. And I was like, okay. Um, you know, she's usually pretty affirming, and I was like, no, that's, 
So, and then, and one time, and then I got this, this verse. God just spoke to me very clearly, Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you perceive it? So I, you know, I photocopied it and put it on the fridge. And um, I'm like, day three, come back from work. I was working for a manufacturing company. And I was like, the, the verse is gone. And uh, I, I said, hey, where's that verse that was on the fridge? She goes, oh, I took it off, threw it in the trash. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I, I wasn't going to be her Holy Spirit. I just, uh, we just, I just, you know, I just prayed. Well, and what Trina says is really wise because you never want to get a situation where you've talked your spouse into something uh, because what, what happens is it doesn't matter what you, I mean, it's, it's a new job or you're moving, it's a new house, whatever. I mean, it, 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 it could be a variety of things, but you're, at, at some point in time, you're going to hit a rough patch, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna run into some stuff that's going to be difficult. And what you want to be able to do is look back together and say, we, no, we heard God on this. Um, this. This was pretty clear, uh, this we're supposed to do. Because what could happen is um, someone could say, see, I told you. I told you we weren't supposed to do this. And I, I'll tell you what, when we were in Kelso, there was, uh, we had a, a clear memory. It was like year one we were in Kelso, and we were in our kitchen, and we were just crying. Like, what have we done? This is horrible. Um, you know, this whole pastoring thing, this stinks. And... Um, but if, if I had talked her into it, um, we, we probably wouldn't be doing what we're doing now. Um, but just because we both heard God and then we just stuck with it and um, said, well, we've got to persevere. We heard God. So I just say just give each other time to get on the same page. Um, and just Rena mentioned, it could take a while just praying and hearing God on that. Um, one of the aha moments I had a few years back was that God began speaking to me before I was a Christian. And um, he's, he does that to people in the Middle East. He gives them dreams and they ask questions about what, who is this man in the white robe. So just because your spouse is not a believer doesn't mean God can't speak to him. So um, know that, you know, he may come to the conclusion differently than you did, and it may bring a smile to your face because you know that the Holy Spirit is working in his life. Um, but don't discount the fact that your husband's not a believer, that God can't speak to him and direct his path as well. Um, the other thing is don't discount the fact that God uses mistakes. So you hear clearly that God's, you know, has a direction for your life, um, your husband's not on the same page, and you go down a path that you didn't want to go down, and a mistake has been made. Liken it to Peter. So Peter messed up, but out of a mistake is redemption and grace. So I think even as parents, some of the best modeling we will do is when we mess up in front of our kids and we have to go back and apologize. So don't look at his mistakes as the fail. Um, sometimes a mistake can actually be a blessing um, if you can use it um, for the good in the future. Yeah, and just kind of tagging on what, what the whole Peter thing, if you, if you remember, and I, I think I've even talked about this um, in, in church, that, you know, when Jesus, after he rises from the dead, of course, Peter's denied him three times, um, and Peter tells the women who are at the grave, tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. He says, tell the disciples and Peter. And I, I think there's a sense that when we make a mistake that we feel disqualified and we feel like, I don't measure up. And Peter, I mean, Peter was certain he wasn't going to mess up. I mean, think about our lives. We, this room is full of people, and we, we evolved. We were all certain we weren't going to make that mistake, and we did. Um, that was Peter. And, and your husbands, if you're married, your husbands uh, you didn't anticipate making that mistake. And... and and yet there's, there's redemption and there's grace. And so, you know, sometimes it can be a painful process. In fact, one of the questions was, uh, that was asked was, you know, how do I forgive my husband um, after being involved in, in pornography? And that's, that's a huge issue today. Um, and there's, I, th I think the, I, I don't know what the stats are. I just, I just, I mean, I've read different stats, but the latest one was like 65% of all men have been engaged in some kind of viewing of pornography. Um, and, and some level or another, and 40% uh, of women are now in, engaged in some sort of uh, viewing of pornography. And, um, and, and when you get that, when you experience that kind of betrayal and that, that kind of pain, 
uh, it's pretty significant. And I would just say this: if you got kids, um, I would, man, I would have that conversation as uh, as early as you think appropriately uh, can happen, because uh, your children are going to be faced with this. It's uh, it's something that they're pressured into. It's something that um, that is just a reality today. And I, I'll just say to you that if when it comes to forgiveness, what you need to understand is that when it when it maybe you catch your husband or maybe he confesses, uh, really what you need to look at it is it's it's similar to like a death. It's the death of a dream of how what a marriage would be like. And and when that happens, um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I think, is the person who talked about the different stages of grief. And um, there, there's, there's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, there's depression, and then there's acceptance, and it's not linear. Um, you're just all over the map. And, um, and in her book, she talks about the idea that women experience all five of them. Men usually experience like three out of the five. And again, it's, it's, it's bouncing all over the place with all those different stages of grief. And that, that is very true as, as, um, in this whole topic of pornography and, and fidelity. That, that is a, a very true reality as well. You go through all the stages of, of grief. Um, and, um, and so how, what, what does forgiveness look like in that process? And, and by the way, I, I'm grateful for Sam Alliance and the, and the many resources that are, are here for people who are struggling. And I want you to know that in, in, in men's ministry, even this weekend on Saturday, one of the, the speaker who's coming is from an organization called Pure Desire. The executive director was on staff with us when we were in Kelso. And um, it, this is, it's, we have groups, and oftentimes our groups can be, well, those, those are for people that are really, really bad. This is really bad. And, um, and really, um, I wish we didn't see it that way, but what we're trying to do is offer another, okay, Somehow you got exposed to this. This is a reality, and you're, and pornography is is something that you're dealing with. And so, trying to make some more or easy access groups, where we can have some some just some conversation about a topic that's difficult. And so, um, the guys are, are are launching into a a, a new kind of way of doing that. Um, the speaker is going to be talking Saturday with guys, and I know LifePath has been having this conversation for a very long time, and. Uh, I just I just want to encourage you that if that is something your husband has confessed or if that's something that you found out, that the emotions that you'll experience will be all over the map. Uh, there is, obviously, there's going to be anger. There's going to be loneliness. Um, you're going to, you may even be obsessed with what he's done. Um, you may even have uh, emotions like jealousy. You, you'll have emotions like love. It's just going to be all over the map. And that that's normal. It just really is normal. And how you get to forgiveness is you're rebuilding trust. And as you rebuild trust, it, it just takes time. It just does. And, and connected to that, there's, there's accountability. There needs to be room markers. And just like someone who's an alcoholic, has got, I mean, I'm 19 days sober. I've been talking to people like talking to one person about a month ago, 19 years. Um, people who are dealing with this whole thing of sexual addiction or pornography, men and women, uh, people who are really dealing with it seriously know, know the days. Um, they're treating it like this, this is something I am fighting on an ongoing basis, and you'll have increasing levels of healing. Forgiveness, what that looks like is there's, there's different levels of forgiveness, but the two predominant levels of forgiveness that we deal with is psychological and relational. And psychological, relational, uh, psychological forgiveness basically looks like this inner battle that you deal with, and really what, you, what the inner battle is, when you know you're ready to psychologically forgive someone, you're, you've moved past the, the desire to get even or retaliate. Um, and, and early on, what, what that looks like is, yeah, you, you'd love to punch somebody, and that's normal. Um, you're, you're hurt, and when we're hurt as human beings, in our brokenness, we want to retaliate. And... Um, and once we get over that, and maybe even physical retaliation has taken place, there's this emotional retaliation and getting even that takes place. Um, and we, we, know how, we know how to to hurt the other person. We know how to kind of turn down the thermostat in the room um, and, and make things a little more difficult for, for each other. Um, but th- when, when, you, when you know you're kind of ready to psychologically forgive someone, you've got, you've, you've released this desire to retaliate or get even. And then you're moved to the point where your relational forgiveness can take place. And that's where reconciliation happens. That's where a relationship, um, you get to, to words like restoration. 
um, and, and moving forward. And let me just say, that is a long process. That is not a quick process. And that is a battle that's not for the timid. So um, we want it to be done quick. We want to get over this. We want to get into our future. But you got, you got to do the work. And so I just want to encourage you that there are resources here for you to plug in, whether it's someone, something has been confessed to you or something that you've confessed to someone else. Man, I'd, I'd, I'd talk to our Life Path and our, our recovery team because recovery is not just about narcotics and about alcohol. And, man, it's just we're recovering from a bunch of stuff. So I, I would just encourage you to, to lean in there. Um, and it, it's a reality in our culture today. So let go of the shame. We, we all carry the shame and, 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 uh, and you know, this idea that, that, you know, that um, I'm a less of a person because of this and, and, and lean into the, the pain that's there and, and, and pursue the healing because we need it and it's a reality in today. So again, have these conversations with your kids as early as you can and um, again, as, as, appropriate, as age appropriate as you can. Um, because uh, it's, it's an important conversation for you. But there's hope, no matter what, what age you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember talking to a woman whose uh, daughter struggled with being bipolar. And it was, it's tough. It's tough. And she's like, I didn't really want to be that mom that people got to come to because I walk this walk. And just recently, we were at a, a district event with pastors, and um, one of the pastors on staff in this district confessed his journey with pornography, and just he was just he was just so real, and just said, you know, what he did when he looked at pornography, and the journey that he was on, and he was seeing a, a, a sex therapist, and he said, I gave up too soon. So when he went into a stressful uh, pastorate and, um, you know, the vice was tightening, he went back to old patterns. And um, his wife just said, I don't want you to share this because I don't want to be the woman who's walked this walk and now people will come to me. This wasn't my sin. This was your sin. Um, And she got to a point where she was okay. Um, She got past the pride, past the shame, and just realized with humility that um, we're all broken, and we can pretend like we're sitting up here and we've got it all together, but none of us have all, it all together. We wouldn't need Jesus if we had it all together. Um, so just know that there's people that want to walk this walk with you, and there is just no shame in this. It's just, it's a reality. I'm actually just quite shocked. Um, we were watching Netflix the other day, and what would have been X-rated in the past is now like PG-13. And I'm like, I do not want my 13-year-old watching a woman under the covers. Um, it just, it's just, it's troubling how uh, we are normalizing acts that should be only for the marriage bedroom. And yet it is on the screen in front of us and we're just looking at each other going, oh my goodness, what are our grandkids walking into? Um, when I worked for Head Start, uh, we had to walk a few journeys with several individuals, and one was a man that was letting his three-year-old watch porn with him. So you can imagine what this three-year-old was talking about uh, in the Head Start classroom. Um, so we walk this, and it, it's just like, duh. But your kids are at school with people that they don't get it. The, the, the guys, the, the women, they don't get it. They, they don't have a level of um, holiness that we are trying to maximize in our Christian walk. So what is normalized in the world, you're going to be having conversations at a very young age with your kids, and I pray that it's not at age three. Um, But just know we we live in a world that isn't living uh, by the manual that we're living by, and that's God's word. And we're talking about sex a lot here, but um, I just keep going here because... Here's, here's, the, here's the pendulum thing that could happen. You could turn sex into being dirty, right? You can turn it into something that, you know, it's bad. And no, there's a beautiful place for this gift in, in marriage. And so um, what you got to be careful about is that you're not communicating to, especially if you have kids, bad, 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 bad. Because then, some, and then you got something else that happens. You got another problem that happens. And it's just, if you're not discipling your kids Culture is, right? So 
You, you got you to be proactive on this. And one of the things I even did with my boys is like during commercials, it was like, it was heads down. Because you were watching the Super Bowl and all of a sudden you got Victoria's Secret commercial and um, it's like, oh my gosh, this is a, like a football game and I got an eight-year-old boy in the room and you know, a six-year-old boy. And, and so we just, um, I would just say to the boys, eyes here, and we'd look at each other. Uh, this is a commercial and you can tell when things you know, were done because the music changes or whatever. Um, we, were, we were watching a show last night, and, and, and Victoria's Secret came on, and I was, look at Trina, and <laughs> I was here, I was here, yeah. <laughs> but I remember, I remember when we moved to Hong Kong, and we were, the church there, we a bunch of us in church, went, went to a movie, and I, I maybe it was, uh, Brad Pitt was in, it was like Troy or something like that, and there was this one scene, and my, my boy, I'm there in front of him, and my boy's head's down, they're like this, and it looks like they're praying, and, uh, and I remember the, the Chinese people like, look at, look at their boys over there. Like, they're praying in the movie. And <laughs> um, but we kind of built this into them. So, um, but I have to have a conversation to say, no, it's, it's not like sex is dirty, sex is bad. It's just there's an appropriate place for it. So you, you do have to, you have to speak the other side as well. So you, there's, a, there's a healthy conversation that you can have on this. And again, it's going to take wisdom and especially uncommon wisdom, I say, in our day and age um, to have those conversations. So just speak, both sides, I would say, are, are, can cause harm on, on this particular topic. What is your thoughts uh, about the Bible where it says that a woman who divorces uh, should not marry again? You hand the mic to me. <laughs> 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 I'm smart. You were the 4.0 you valedictorian. <laughs> I barely made it through school. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think it's, I mean, and this is a great question. Uh, we just walked this journey with Steve's brother, um, and um, so go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, a couple things with the topic of divorce. One is, is that, you know, f- for a lot of years, it was like the unforg- unforgivable sin. That was a scarlet letter. I think it was a huge mistake. Um, and the church, uh, you know, Big C Church, just didn't really get that one right. Um, and here, here's the heart behind it. And you still even see this today in Middle Eastern cultures, is what happens uh, is that you have, um, and I'm giving you a little background on this because when we go to Scripture, you need to see this from that cultural perspective. Men are typically 10 years older than their wives in the Middle East. And what happens is when wives, uh, when well, you know, become mothers and they have kids and wives get older, what's common even today in the Middle East is that um, they'll take another wife, a younger wife. Um, and uh, now there's 20 years difference. And uh, that will happen. You'll have, you'll have men in the Middle East who have uh, three to five wives. And what often happens is the, the men will divorce the, their, um, their first wife as they get older. And um, there's this sort of disposable um, perspective that's put on, um, on, on marriage. So all that say, okay, go to, go to Scripture. And when Jesus, uh, when John the Baptist, remember when John the Baptist is going after Herod and, and just calling him out for, for taking um, his, his brother's wife? Um, there, there's some wife stealing going on, and then he, what he's, when, he says, when he says, you know, God hates divorce, behind it is this disposable nature that's connected to divorce of that, okay, I'm tired of this one, so now I'm going to get another one. As I understand Scripture, that is what he's talking to. He's talking to this idea that, hey, when you make a, this, this is a covenant, this is not a contract. There's a big difference between covenant and contract. Contract is, here's the 10 things that we're agreeing for uh, to this contract. I've done those in business. You violate uh, one, of the, one of those things on the contract. Contract's an old relationship. Business relationship is over. That, that sometimes is applied to marriage, and, but that's a horrible picture of marriage. Covenant is, blood is spilt. That word, this is, a, I'm committed to you. You're committed to me, you know, regardless of, of, of the pain or the suffering that, that, that takes place. When God when it says God hates divorce, I believe he's speaking to this disposable kind of attitude that we've, we've attached to divorce. 
Now, what, what ends up happening is when someone is divorced because of a variety of reasons, let's say it's, um, you know, biblical grounds, adultery or, or something like that, and there's remarriages take, that take place, we apply a scripture that was meant for a certain context, and we apply it to a completely different contract, a context, um, and I, I don't think that's what God's talking about, in, in my opinion. And, and then I think we put we, extra helpings of shame and guilt on the person, um, because uh, you know, because they they've remarried. I think at the heart of it is, did divorce take place because I got tired of the person I was with and I wanted something new? And I, I think it breaks God's heart. Um, and, but I think in most cases that's not what's going on. There's other things that are that are going on. So it's it's a huge topic. I'm not going to cover all the the, the 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 nuances of of what happens in divorce. I just think you got to be careful about these blanket statements of oh divorce bad. There's stories. There there's there's things going on we don't we don't know about. And um, really it's 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 about heart stuff that's going on behind the scenes. I think marriage we need to we need to understand that marriage is such a powerful thing that God has given to us, and it's a powerful metaphor he's using to describe our relationship with him. So I think what God is getting at is he's saying, I'm committed to you, be committed to me, and I think if we bring that into our marriage, that's the right heart, that's the right approach. This question that was asked about, but you know, you know what, what do you think about a woman who's divorced getting remarried, I'd, I'd have to know the story. Um, and and what, what, what's the circumstances going on here? And then most of the time, I think that um, most of the time, I think that there's, um, there's nothing wrong with the remarriage. Um, sometimes it's, it's not a healthy thing. So without knowing all the circumstances, um, that would be my, my response to it. I just, I just think we give, we, we've given simplistic solutions to a very complex thing that is going on in someone's life. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so, I, um, so on the whole divorce thing, I just, I just think sometimes we can, we can overreact to it, and we need to hear each other's stories and see each other's hearts on that. Yeah, and bottom line, can God bless a remarriage? Absolutely. I mean, there would be no hope for us if God wouldn't bless brokenness. Um, so whether it's um, marriage or Peter denying him or me blowing up at my husband, um, Goodness, thank goodness uh, God is a God of truth and grace. So, yeah, and someone asked the question, have we, have we ever spoken the word divorce to each other? Um, and, you know, have you ever thought of divorce? And I, I, the, there's that quote, that, you know, Billy Graham's wife was asked that question. She says, no, I never thought about divorce. Murder? Yes. Divorce? Never. <laughs> um, but that, uh, that, that has never been a have been something that we've used in conversation. And part of this is because, again, think, think of it as a covenant. We're going to try our very, very best to work through everything that we face together. And so we didn't ever want to use that as a weapon. Uh, and so we've never played that card. And in, in my mind, I just, I've never gone there in my mind. There's been, there's been times where we have not been on the same page. There's times where we've been so mad at each other. And, um, and we've just sort of just, you know, just... We're going to work this thing. I'm, I'm kind of the, I want to, conflict happens. I want to deal with it. I want to, I want to talk it out. And Trina does not want to talk it out and deal with it. She wants to process, bugs the snot out of me, and I, more anger rises in me. And, um, and but I, I, I there's, a, there's a sense of security that comes in knowing when that car, that, that car's not being played. Things might be, you know, bad, but at least we're not going there. Um, now, that, that's just sort of how we've approached it. Yeah, and, and, and I'll share that um, you don't know what you don't know. So when you have kids and it's day three of a crying, uncommunicative kid that is flailing and just pushing every button there is, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, I now know why people abuse their children. Uh, same thing in marriage. Like, I remember one time, and we talked about it this morning, where I'm home with four kids. Steve's pouring his life into a new church. And I thought to myself, huh, I see why people give up on a marriage. This is hard. 
I feel like I'm doing it alone. He, I feel like he's married to the church right now. And, and I know that some of you can relate to your husbands being married to their job. Um, it was a thought that I didn't linger on. Um, so I think that's the difference. You can't stay there. Um, I said last night that Steve's holier than I because he's never thought the thought. But I do remember thinking, oh, I, I see why people give up. Um, so I think we have to be careful we're not quick to judge those that are processing things that are hard like that because, man, when you're in it and you're just beside yourself with frustration with a kid, you can see why somebody whacked their kid um, inappropriately. Um, and you can see why sometimes people give up because it's really hard work. And it doesn't matter if you married at 18 or 20 or 35 or Steve had an aunt that married for the first time at 55. It's work. It is work no matter what age you get married. Married a guy who was living with his mom. He was 60. You talk about transition and about uh, a significant transition. I've never thought about divorce because Trina's awesome. Uh, she's amazing. So it has nothing to do about me being holier. It's about her. She's, I mean, I mean, look at her. I'll remind you of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when the heat, when we're in the heat of a discussion. Yeah. Oh, all right. Tips and tricks on how to date in the midst of a season of littles. Um, so be intentional. Um, be intentional with your husband. Uh, one of the questions uh, later on is like, um, we're in a society that, you know, belittles our husbands and puts them down. You see it in t TV commercials. Um, be a person of respect. Respect your husband. Most of the time, uh, a husband... A men start emotional affairs that end up in physical affairs um, because of an emotional disconnect with us as women. So make sure you're having intentional times. Uh, Steve and I have date night every Wednesday night. Um, sometimes you have to be really strategic and you're going to be eating top ramen a couple nights a week to be able to afford the babysitter. Um, and if you can't afford the babysitter, we've done some fun things where once the kids went to bed, we pulled the mattress off the bed and brought it into the living room and watched a movie um, and ate popcorn. We tell the kids, you know, we, when you go to bed, we jump on the bed and eat popcorn every night. Um, but um, the best thing that you can do for your children is to love your spouse well. So being intentional of taking that time together, whether it's once a week or once every other week, or uh, and then we spent time together, we tried once a quarter to go away with the kids, uh, no technology, and just usually got a cheap hotel with a swimming pool and ate top ramen for dinner, and then um, breakfast you know, with cereal in the morning, or if they offered a free breakfast, we'd do that. So just creative times of getting away, unplugging from the routines of life, and just looking in each other's eyes going, oh yeah, this is the guy I like. This is the guy that I'm married for a reason and not just, you know, you're not just a mom or not just um, a wife, but you're a, you're a team. Yeah, I, I think we're about out of time here. So I, I would just say that, um, and it's going back to Christ as the bridegroom and, and we're the bride. I'm really, really the, the you know, he loves us. He's a saving love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a sanctifying love, meaning he, meaning he, he makes us holy. He's made it possible for us uh, to be new people. Um, and as we, as we love him, uh, we're devoted. We're, there's fidelity. Uh, there's loyalty. And, um, it's, and there's intimacy. And so and we, we live that out in our spiritual lives, and uh, we live it out in the different relationships that, that we have appropriately. And um, it's one of the gifts that God's given to us. So thanks for uh, letting us be with you. I think we'll wrap up, and I'm going to hand it over to, to, to Jennifer. And um, yeah. Really, really appreciate that. Um, because I got a microphone for a couple minutes, I get to give you my random thoughts on some of the things they answered as well. So just go with me here on a couple of these things. 
when Steve and Trina were talking about the question about when you find you and your husband on separate, on different paths and, and kind of wanting two different things and how do you move forward in that? And they, I think really wisely mentioned, you know, don't be your spouse's Holy Spirit, but, but wait and slow down and allow God time to change their heart. I think on the other hand too, those of us, um, who are on that other path need to be willing to have God change our heart. And so I remember a time when Jeff and I were kind of wanting two different things. And I just said to God, I really don't want what Jeff wants, but if it's what you want for us, would you change my heart? And made myself available to have a changed heart. And the prayer that I prayed was, God, when you show us clearly where you call us, would you make me ready and willing for whatever your calling is? And then it's not me against Jeff. It's God, you make it clear to me. When, when this is clear to us, I want to be ready and willing. So that was one thing. Another one was that question about how do you make God first, husband second, kids third. I 100% agree with everything Steve said. And my husband and I bumped into the place where I was putting my kids in front of him and bumped into the place where he didn't feel valued or respected because of the way that I treated him when the kids were around. And just two tips that made all the difference in the world for us was number one, when he got home for me to stop what I was doing, look him in the eye, and be present with him. And the second one was learning how to not let the kids interrupt our conversations. And that's really hard. I think the tip that Trina gave about um, giving your kids a way to let you know they need you without just coming in and interrupting. When I quit letting the kids interrupt what Jeff and I were doing, he began to see that I respected and honored him and valued his time. So not letting kids interrupt. The other one, um, when the commercials are on and you want your boys to know where to look, Steve was, hey, look here. My sister-in-law, um, it was knees. She would just say knees, and you'd see all the three boys go like this down to their knees when the commercials would come on. Um, uh, we've got a pretty quick uh, grip on our on our remote, and, and we've got that, you know, the, the last channel watched. And so somebody, whoever has the remote, just knows to hit last channel watched as soon as that commercial comes on. And we're always bouncing forth between two basketball games or a football game and a basketball game. So chances are, if you hit the switch, that there's not a commercial on the other one. The other one on this question of, do you ever talk about divorce? Do you think about divorce? And one of the key... Um, kind of worldviews for me that's been so helpful is that when something comes up, a big issue rises in our marriage. It's easy to think that the issue is between Jeff and I, and he's the problem or I'm the problem, and we've got this thing between us. And one of the pictures that's just so helpful is, this is my covenant spouse. This is my friend. This is my partner. We are a team. This is my ally. And it's Jeff and I together looking at the issue. It's Jeff and I together against the enemy. It's not that he's the enemy in the problem. It's that we've got something that we together need to work out. And that picture makes all the difference in the world because I'm not tempted to go, how do I get away from him? I'm tempted to say, okay, we need change. And maybe that's that we both need to lean into God. But, but it's not um, the question of, are we going to split? But it's the question of how are we going to fight this together? And I think that um, transitions back into our own life that, that divine piece of belonging that we were talking about, that when we face struggle and when we face um, those places where we don't feel like we belong, those places of pain and grief, it can be tempting to blame God and to say that God is the problem. There's injustice in the world. He's not a just God. There's pain. There's whatever it might be. We're tempted to go, us and God, God's the problem. He's not leading the world the way I want him to lead the world. And can we change that picture to God is our intimate ally. He is our best friend. He is the one that wants good. And so together, God and I stand and we look at the sin in my life or the temptation or the pain, the, the loss, the suffering, the, the issue that could come between God and I. Maybe it's that I'm single. Maybe it's that I'm married and my marriage is really hard. And I say, okay, God, I don't want to fight you on this. I don't want to blame you on this. I want to partner with you on this. How will you lead me forward in this into your place of health? And that's the place where we can enter into that bride of Christ love where his perfect love for us actually makes a tangible difference in the way that we influence and interact with the people around us.